When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Poetry Questions TPQ20, where we sit down with your favorite authors to talk about passions, process, pitfalls, and poetry. My name is Chris Margolin. Let's expand the conversation. Well, thank you so much for uh, hopping on TPQ20 with me today. I'm so excited to talk with you. Uh, we always like to start off by saying we know who you are, but our audience may be new to you. So if you were to give the bio that will not be featured on the back of Tragedy of Touch, who would you say you are? <laughs> um, that's actually a really, really good question. And I listened to some of the other answers and I was like, <laughs> damn, I don't think I'll be able to give an answer as cool as this. But um. <laughs> I think the short answer would be that in my pursuit to become a poem, I became a poet. And I think that summarizes it. But the longer version would be, if you're looking for a poet, I'm probably not it. If you're looking for a writer, I'm probably not it. If you're looking for an engineer, I'm probably not it. But if you are looking for somebody who's going to try a bunch of unrelated things to try and find out who they are and how they fit into this world, then I'm probably it. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> have you uh, have you found how you fit into the world yet? No, I I am beginning to fear that it's going to be a lifelong struggle. But um, yeah. I'm meeting awesome people along the way, so there's that. <laughs> awesome. Okay, you know that that is that is uh, you can't ask for much more than just a wonderful company in life. So that's not. True. Not a bad spot to start. I'm very curious about the engineer side of things. So let's just start there. Um, how does an how does a not engineer become a not writer? Um, so essentially, um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but if you come from an Indian household, doing writing or English as a degree is not really an option. <laughs> so essentially, when I showed interest in it, my parents were like, yeah, it's it's a great hobby. You know, you can pick it up after engineering. And funny enough, that is what happened. So I have a bachelor's in electrical and electronics engineering. All and right. it was actually in my honors degree when we had to come up with um, an honors project that I realized that I didn't have to limit myself to only engineering that we all contain multitudes. I, I do, you do. And why should I limit myself and draw these lines in my mind? So that's when I realized that there are no limitations and I can do whatever I want. So mm. right now that's what I'm doing essentially. So, yeah. I like, I like that. And I, I always like to think that in all of our, uh, all of our day jobs, um, there's some type of poetic value in there and a through line yeah. from, you know, kind of, kind of the, uh, the, the day job, the nine to five and the poetry world. Do you ever find the two crossing? 
Well, not really, to be honest. Um, <laughs> right now, my um, my master's research is based on interactive gaming to aid Ooh. with anxiety management. So I'm trying to combine sort of game development, engineering, and mental health. And if you're familiar with my work, you know that I focus a lot on mental health. So I'm yet trying to find a method to try and bring poetry into that sphere as well. But um, that hasn't happened yet. But I have been thinking about a twine game, which will somehow involve poetry and sort of the experience of an obsessive compulsive disorder person. But right now, that's just kind of a pipe dream, but it's there somewhere. So, yeah. I like that. And as somebody who who definitely has struggled with mental health issues over the years and as someone who who lives with a, a fairly neurodivergent family. Um, yeah. You know, I, I appreciate I appreciate that about your work in that you are very open about about that. And and you are one of those people, I think, who, um, you know, a lot of the times we I always tell my students, uh, we talk about the authorial fallacy and this idea that authors um, don't always write from personal experience. They they yeah. write to tell a story. But you are someone who kind of leaves it all out on the table. Um, and you, you know, at least, at least, um, as a reader, I feel like the narrator of your piece leaves it all out on the table, but knowing your voice outside of that, you know, you really do kind of show who you are. And that's, that's a really nice, it's really nice when you, you realize that an author is truly talking from, you know, personal experience, um, where do you see the world of mental health and poetry right now? Is it, you know, obviously poetry from its beginning has, you know, there's always been talk of, of you know, health issues and, and the mental state of mm -hmm. things. But how do you see it in today's world? I think for me, I think poetry and sort of writing or any art or media is basically a reflection of sort of what people want to consume. And ironically, I think that in our bid to sort of normalize mental health, it, has, it hasn't been destigmatized. So I think I read um, or I watched a video with someone saying that in the past, if you couldn't go to work because you were having a sort of a depressive episode, you'd be afraid to phone your boss and say, I'm depressed. So you'd say, you know, I have a stomachache or something. And you just sort of evade the whole topic. But now it's become that I can't come to work because I have a depressive episode. And your boss is like, I see you, your feelings are valid, but that doesn't mean you, there'll be special accommodations made for you. So people think that by opening up the discussion on mental health that we've destigmatized it, but I think those things are not the same. So it's like, even with me as somebody that has OCD, people are kind of aware of it, but the stigma is still there. Like you can't actually get people to understand it. And I don't think if you are somebody who hasn't suffered with that in particular, you'd understand it. So I think despite people writing about it as much as they are, because there are many people who are writing about mental health, which is a good thing. Right. But I feel that the conversation has been normalized but the condition hasn't been normalized. And I think that in itself is poetic because a lot of poetry does write about the human condition. And yet for centuries, a lot of those things have not been 
destigmatized. Even if we think right. about it in a less um, sort of dark manner, if you think about love and poetry is obviously love and, and poetry is synonymous, but this whole idea of sort of star-crossed lovers and dying for love, people have romanticized it, but I don't think that it's been normalized mm. in a sense. So that's just how I see it. I'm sure people have a lot of different thoughts about that. No, I, I, I think it's interesting as I, I think we, you know, I think we are in a, I think these last few years have shown us that at least we need to be way more aware of what is around us and who, who are around us. And obviously, you know, the, the, the treatment of those around us. Um, and I, and I, I feel like there are, there are a good handful of poets right now of, of neurodivergent poets or poets talking, you know, and dealing with, with depression or mental health issues. I feel like it's a little bit more prevalent now than it has been. And maybe that's because of like Twitter and Instagram and how accessible yeah. things are, but it, it feels like we're in a good, in a good space for that, at least. Um, do you, who are, who are some of the poets that you read or are there authors that you read who are focused on mental health issues? Interestingly, when I get asked this question, it always highlights how much I don't read. And <laughs> I always feel, I always feel very um, conscious about that because I feel like I should be reading um, a lot more. And ironically, I will read a lot of things or listen to a lot of things, like even in terms of music and not know who the artist is hmm. like I think somebody asked me um do you know about um the I think it's Simon and and Funkel I think who sang um that the sound of silence mm -hmm. and yeah. I love that I I love that song and someone was like are you familiar with them and I'm like no I've never heard of them and they sent me the song I'm like oh I love this song you know and I think that's <laughs> the case with um with a lot of poetry as well. Like I'll know the poem, I'll know the lines. And then someone will be like, have you read that really good poem? And I'll be like, no, I haven't. And then I'll look it up and I'll be like, oh, I actually do know this poem and I quite like it. <laughs> so that's something that's that's interesting. And I know a lot of uh, writers actually have sort of writing inspirations who they kind of read like their whole body of work or something right. like that. And I don't really have that. It's the same hmm. with like, movies and music if i just enjoy something i'll watch it i don't have any or if i like something i'll listen to it if i like something i'll read it so it's not it's not i think it's in a way a way to not limit myself again right. which I, I which which i don't like so i think essentially that's where it stems from so if something's good i'll read it basically and i might not know who wrote it though so but there's that <laughs> That makes me really curious then where where did the poetry start uh was there you know was there uh like a catalyst poet somebody you were you know you were read or you read something where you you thought this made sense to you enough to to dive into you know putting words on paper it's interesting because I know for a lot of poets that write about kind of mental illness or trauma or something, a, a lot of them say that the reason why they write it is so that other people can relate to it. And for me, that's not how it started. When I wrote my debut poetry collection, which was washed away, it was a very selfish act. 
I was stuck in a very deep sort of mental breakdown at that point. And I felt like I couldn't express myself in any other way. So I just wrote. And then eventually in 2021, I felt like I had all of these things. Like, what do I do with it? You know, and in a way it was kind of, I think I even tell people that my debut poetry collection is kind of like how Hemingway um, said that there's not much to writing. You just go to a typewriter and lead. And I think essentially that's what my debut poetry collection is. It's just me bare on the page. Essentially, if it was me in person, if I had to, if if my book was on a bookshelf, the human personification would be me screaming at people saying, "This is this is my problem. Look at it. Look at it. Look at it." Essentially, that is what that is what it was. So when I started in January of 2021. I had no idea what a cover letter was. I didn't know what submittable was. So needless to say, to answer your question that I didn't have any inspiration. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know if my work was any good. I didn't know if it would get picked up. I didn't know about lit mags. I knew nothing, essentially. I just decided that I'm going to deep dive into oh, this, threw myself into the deep end. And even now, every day I learn something new. I didn't have Twitter, I didn't have social media at all before that. So from January 2021, I've mm. essentially just built up this and I still feel like I don't know what I'm doing. But like I said, I'm meeting very interesting people. So, and they've helped. So that's, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I love that. So, but from, from washed way to tragedy of touch, who, uh, do you still feel that way about about tragedy of touch or uh, how have you changed as a poet and a person um, since, you know, you now have social media, you've now have a book out in the world. Are you the same poet that you were then uh, now? I don't think I am. Um, ironically, I started this whole thing with writing about kind of my OCD and mental illness. And then after I had released Washed Away, I felt like I had said what I wanted to say. Mm. And then I felt like there were other things that I wanted to explore. And um, in between Washed Away and Tragedy of Touch was actually a shorter chapbook published by The Daily Drunk um, about the movies as well. So I was just doing a lot of things that I enjoyed then. And essentially Tragedy of Touch was something that I wanted to try about telling a story through Venn diagrams predominantly. And basically from, from there, I'm just doing things that I want to do. So I actually have an essay chapbook coming out next, next year. And that's oh. a bit scary because like, like you said, um, a lot of people don't think the speaker of the poem and the poet are the same, but in an essay chapbook, you can't say that. So everybody that reads it will know that <laughs> this is definitely me. This is definitely my life. So I don't have, I don't have a plan. I don't have, I still don't have a plan. I don't have a style. I don't have sort of specific themes that I focus on. I've just decided that I'm going to do what I enjoy doing. And um, I'm not sure if you know, but I, I always tweet about my submission stats and my rejections and my acceptances. And that has decreased a lot because I've been submitting so much less because I have so much less material to submit mm. because I'm still deciding what is it that I want to say. And right. I think when it comes from, from washed away, like I do think mental illness is still really important and I still do write about it. 
But I also feel that unless I have something to say in a different, more innovative way, I'm kind of just repeating myself. So that's also why mm. I want to try different I, things. Yeah, yeah. I, well, and I, I like that, that you, there are a lot of poets right now who are kind of, you know, moving fairly fluidly between genres. And it's a really, mm. it's, it's fascinating because I think it's opening doors for people to, to read other genres that they might not actually, you know, have picked up like a, somebody who reads a poetry book might not necessarily want to read an essay collection, but because they enjoy your poetry, they will go pick up an essay collection. And I, and I, as a, as an educator, I love that yeah. because, because it means that, you know, my students who might see a, you know, a video of a poem might go, wait, they also like, they write essays too. And they might start to understand that essays don't have to just be dry. And, you know, they're not, they don't have to be like so stagnant. They can be beautifully written essays. Um, and I, so I, I like that. It's, it's interesting. Cause when I was discussing this with one of my friends and I told her, I'm like, it's a bit scary because like I said, it, there's no speaker of the poem. I am the, right. the narrator. And she said, what's interesting is that because she she had an early glance at it. She said that if people have read some of your poems and some of the things that you wrote about in some of those poems are elaborated on in your, in your essay, then it will give people more insight into sort of you as well as your subject matter as well. So that just sort of reiterates what, what you said, that this jumping between genres does actually allow people to read more in different genres, which is good. That's great. Well, and I love that you found a great home with Famadon uh, for this book. Um, I, I obviously, uh, the poetry question we've we've published, uh, we've published Famadon's editor uh, AR over there. So we are we're always excited to know what uh, what they choose for work because it's always it, he has a really really. Um, great just great eye for pieces that will hit on multiple levels um and i and i love the work that comes from famadon so that's really exciting uh that you that you get to work with them um the uh, the essay collection sounds fantastic uh so i definitely am excited about that um when it comes to your your process uh how do you because you write in so many genres how do you kind of keep a focus on which one you're doing? Do you have a, or do you have problems compartmentalizing things? Or are you pretty good about focusing on one project uh, at a time? Or uh, how does your brain work for that? Um, I'm going to quote that line from um, The Dark Knight. Uh, do I look like a guy with a plan? Because I'm not. <laughs> so... <laughs> Love it. So, um... Essentially, and this is something which I hope lit mags don't don't pay too much attention to, is that I only write poetry and I pass it off as other genres. <laughs> so what a wonderful um, answer. That's great. Essentially, um, I had a piece in in Wigleaf. It was a questionnaire piece, and that was written as a sort of prose poem hybrid piece. And then I said, you know what? Wigleaf accepts fiction. They they this is fictitious to them. So 
you know, I'll just sub it there. And they accepted it. So then someone was like, I didn't know you wrote fiction. And I was like, neither did I. So <laughs> essentially, essentially, there is there is no process. And so, similarly, if I have written a prose poem and um, there's a submission call for sort of lineated poetry, they don't want prose poetry, I will go and put in the lines and mm. sub it as that. And if it's the other way, I will go and take out the lines and maybe edit some other things so Ooh. essentially yeah that's 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 the process if we want to call it that <laughs> well it's interesting because it's it means that for for you poetry is is malleable and and i like that idea that you know if there's a call for something maybe you go back and take a look at that piece and figure out what you know what it has or doesn't have yet that it needs for that you know for that that submission call. So do you think then that your poetry is kind of always a living, breathing, uh, you know, entity? Well, what I think about not just poetry, but kind of like writing in general, I think I even said this um, to someone who read one of my books was that when you as a reader read a piece of literature, there is some part of the reader and the writer that kind of gets captured in this bubble and that stays there for forever. But yet it can change. Like when we reread certain things, we are different people. Sometimes when we read it, maybe you read something in high school and you've revisited it now and you're like, that was terrible. <laughs> like the catcher in their eye maybe. <laughs> and um, if you read sort of The Great Gatsby, I know a lot of people didn't like it in high school and they liked it sort of in the early 20s. Uh, that changes as well. So I think literature changes according to how we change. I mean, that is why poetry and any literature has existed for sort of centuries. And yet new readers find it on a daily basis. They see something new in it. They find something new in it. They connect with it because of themselves. And that is why I think when the discussion comes up, when people say, is the poem uh, more the readers than the writers? And I think a poem is more the readers than it is the writers, because it open, it's op so open to interpretation that often what the reader interprets is nothing what the author interpreted it to be. I know somebody once told me, I really like this poem of yours. And I was like, oh, okay. And they're like, yeah, this is what it was about, right? And I was like, <laughs> yes yes that is what it was about yes that is what it was about if you want to believe that then i will believe that <laughs> so yeah i think that that's because yeah. that is a i mean that is the power you know the power of poetry it's the power of words it's you you do take on what you get out of it i mean i you mentioned catcher in the rye and Catcher in the Rye is, is the, the reason that I became such a voracious reader because my freshman high school English teacher yeah. uh, pulled me aside and, you know, outside of class and was like, you need a copy of this book. Um, but you're right yeah. in that, you know, I've read it so many times in the last, what, 25 years that yeah. the that it's changed so much for me i've discovered so much more about it where i thought holden was such a cool character in the beginning yeah. and now you know i now understand you know how awesome phoebe is rather than that and i think that's one of the great things about about putting something on page is that you can always go back and always find something new in it um and it I really agree. yeah so and, as we and 
interesting me, the cash in there, I, I only read two years ago for the mm -hmm. first time. And I hadn't read it in high school. And then I know what I always do after I read a book or a poem is I see what other people have to say about it. And all these memes came up about how Holden is like a terrible character. He's a whiny teenager. And I was like, you know, I didn't really feel that, but um, I see the, the point of view. Yeah. So for me, it was interesting to have read it so much later in my life compared to, as you say, a lot of people read it in high school. So that was interesting. Well, and I think, I think Catcher, it's, it's my, Courtney, my wife and I have, have had several conversations about this book over the years. And, and I, yeah. I think, um, you know, it's, it's a tough book to truly grasp unless you, uh, I don't know. I feel like I needed it in high school because I, I think my teacher thought I was acting like a Holden. Um, and I, <laughs> I think it's such a great, but I think in the, in the end, it's such a great Peter Pan story. You know, it is, yeah. you know, Holden, Holden is such the character that doesn't want to grow up. And I always see Phoebe as kind of the Wendy, um, you know, yeah. his little sister really kind of becomes this mother figure in a way. And I, and I like that. Um, I like that. I didn't get that back then. And that I, you know, it was yeah. something I, it was actually something I picked up on later when I was teaching it. Um, I think maybe a student even might've stumbled on that at some point and said something. But I do, I think, you know, I love the, I, I love that literature changes over time, depending on, um, as we kind of head to the end here, uh, who, yeah. I know, I know that you say you don't read a lot, uh, but yeah. uh, who out there right now is exciting to you? Are there, which poets are you, you know, are you really excited about? There's so many, like I follow so many of them on on Twitter, but like now all of, all of a sudden when I'm put on the spot, I feel like I've <laughs> everybody I I ever ever know. Um, let me think. Actually, um, I think um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Void Space uh, Zine. They um, it's run by uh, by Katie. And she kind of publishes interactive uh, literature. Yeah. And I really enjoy that because Ooh. as I said, um, I, I at some point want to do sort of a twine game, which links sort of mental illness and um, poetry. And I think that the work that she's publishing on then that she uh, writes herself is very interesting to me. Um, I think Lynn Smith, is um, also really um, noteworthy in terms of writing about grief and loss. Very much so. Um, I think you guys have published it as well. You um, sure did. Sexy Time. Uh, yeah, out sexy with, time last, yeah. last year was, yeah. was amazing. Yeah. What a wonderful. Lynn is definitely one of those poets who, and she's, they're a poet. Um, they have a lot out there in the world and they're they're one of like you they are very honest in what they put on paper definitely um, um there's obviously a taylor bias oh, uh yes. definitely one of the the people that i follow a lot and read almost like all the stuff that that, that yeah. she puts out definitely um yeah there's there's a lot of people like i say right now i kind of follow a lot of uh talented people to be really honest 
It's, and, an easy, um, it's it, a really easy thing to do these days. There's a lot of, there's just a lot of great work out there right there. And, and people are willing to share it more and more. Exactly. And, and it actually scares me sometimes because you, you read so much and you think it humbles me and it scares me. It humbles me because I think I've been published alongside some of these people or in the same spaces. And that, that is a big honor for me. And it also scares me because you think that if there's so many talented people, like you're just going to get lost in this, in this wave of immense, immense talent. And, and like I said, a lot of people are reading more than I am. A lot of people are writing more than I am. A lot of people have actual qualifications in sort of poetry and English literature. So the imposter syndrome is, uh, is very real basically <laughs> you, you know it, it's we when we started doing this show forever ago now uh we talked to so many people about the idea of pitfalls and that imposter syndrome that just creeps in and keeps so many people back but you know i think it's i think it it's also one of those things that you can really play with and especially a, an author like yourself who talks about that idea of, of you know mental health and and vulnerability um, I think that imposter syndrome might come back and help you at some point uh, break through the, uh, break through the noise. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for hanging out with me today on TPQ20. It was an absolute pleasure to speak with you. And I look forward to sending more and more people your direction. Uh, so everybody out there should absolutely grab a copy of Tragedy of Touch. Um, and we truly look forward to all that comes, especially this essay collection. And uh, thank, you. thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Thank you so much um, for inviting me and for accommodating my um, <laughs> weird time difference as well and my connectivity issues. So it's been uh, fun and it's been an honor and a privilege. Ah, well, thank you so much. And I will talk with you soon. Have a great rest of the day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Poetry Questions TPQ20. Please like, rate, review, and subscribe. See you next week.